when you start offering a solution, a lot of times people just say, well, that's the solution. We got to go with it. And that just shuts down the conversation, whether you intended it to or not. They just sort of hear it differently from you as a leader and a manager. And so what if you took a step back and weren't the first one to jump in or weren't putting the problem solving on your shoulders, but you're trying to create a situation where you're getting ideas on the table? Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Today, Aaron Copel joins me. He is the founder of Project Brilliant, a management consulting firm specializing in agile transformation and the application of lean and agile principles for companies. His passion for innovation led him to create two startup companies, which provided his entry into the world of agile. Today, we're honing in on the importance of explaining why and how to do that well. So Aaron, welcome to the show. What do you mean when you say it is important to explain why? Yeah, thanks, Nikki. It's great to be here, first of all, and that's a, a great topic for today. So yeah, explaining why, I think that's, as we talk with leaders and coach leaders, a lot of times there's a lot of good ideas they have or good direction they have, but the context that comes with that is really helpful for people to understand the deeper meaning behind it and really how to engage with it, how to get on board with where that leader wants to go. And so that's a lot of what we encourage them to do is take that extra step of not just giving a directive or sharing something they want to do, but really take the extra time to explain the why and the thinking behind it so that people can engage more effectively and carry that out. Paving the foundation for engagement. I think that's great. I'm excited to dig in on this. A lot of times that engagement's not there because the explanation of the why wasn't there. What do we typically overlook? What are some of the habits that we've formed that maybe we need to break, if you will, that makes this overlooked? Good question. So I think a lot of it is just pressure to keep going, like take action and just keep rolling. And so oftentimes just not taking that step back to explain the why, because we're so busy, right? Or just need to get something done, or we've got a goal to achieve or work to have completed this week or things like that. So depending on sort of what level of the organization you're working at and the time horizon of your vision of what you're doing, right? If you're at a more tactical level, you're thinking about how do I get today's stuff done or this week's stuff done, and it's just accomplishing the task. And if you're maybe more senior, you're thinking bigger picture, maybe in quarters and years and things like that, but still there's a sense of urgency to just keep going. Everyone just keep taking action, keep taking the next step, get the next thing done, whether that be task level or something bigger, like a big rock, you're trying to accomplish the organization on a roadmap. And so it, it really is important to take the time. Things will go smoother. People will be in a better alignment. So just taking that extra step to really explain the why, let people ask questions. It's not just the leader explaining why, but it's giving the opportunity then for them to understand it, ask questions and get engaged with it as well. So that asking the why is really that first step. I think that's so helpful. There's many assessment tools out there that help us better understand ourselves. And some of us are just wired to be more tactical and more driven and just like eye on the prize. And so I think there's a mix of self-awareness, self-discovery to understand like what's our natural way of being. If you were to explain or challenge, I guess, the mindset shift that you suggest we make in this, I think you just spoke to some of that, but how can we kind of reframe to lay more of this foundation before we go deeper? Really thinking about what we're trying to accomplish. And so when we get into situations where there's high pressure and things like that, it's really trying to be more self-aware and more self-conscious of how you're coming across as a leader for one thing. And so really setting the groundwork before you get in those situations, really working on yourself and some of that professional development 
we find a lot of times where that first step in the leadership journey is often they were the one doing the work. So they're getting into a role where they're managing the people doing that work and maybe not taking so much time to think about the change in how they need to behave as going from doer to leader. And there's some development that needs to happen there. And unfortunately, we find a lot of organizations where there, there just isn't a lot of support, maybe coaching or development opportunities there. It's really just keep on going. You were doing the work yesterday. Now you're the manager of the people doing the work. Just do it. And maybe not taking the time to set that up. And so really thinking about a framework of some sort for those leaders to understand their own professional development as leaders and managers, not just about how to do the work. And when you go to those management leadership roles, hopefully you're starting to detach from actually doing the work and really try to set up the environment and set your people up for success. So really thinking about a framework you can use to start going down that path and understand as you progress in a development perspective, what is that next up? What are the next things you can just start paying attention to and learning about, again, beyond just doing the work, it's about working on yourself and understanding how to be a better leader or manager. Speaking of framework, I remember when we talked before, you had mentioned the leadership agility model, and that's like a core framework in your business. I'd love for you to give us an overview of that. Yeah, sure. So this is a, a model that we've learned from a guy named Bill Joyner and Stephen Josephs. They wrote a book called Leadership Agility, probably a decade ago. It's something we found really useful. But interestingly enough, when they wrote the book, they weren't thinking about the same kind of agile we are. They were thinking more than just dictionary definition of being nimble and the adaptability and things like that, but they coincide pretty well. And so what we found is in our work with leaders, when we're trying to go through an agile transformation, this model really fits pretty well, same kind of thinking. And so the model is pretty comprehensive and there's five stages of development. And we simplified in our trainings and our work with leaders to help them understand it a bit easier. And so we, we slim it down to three levels. And actually I'm in my office, I've got a picture behind me. I know a lot of people are on video going to be able to see this, but I'll just talk through it a bit. So the first level is expert leader. And it's kind of what I, I described a minute ago, where maybe it's the first step in the leadership journey and you were doing the work. Now you're managing the people doing the work. And the way you got into that role as an expert leader is because you're an expert in that thing. So whether it be marketing or software development or product management or whatever it is, or finance, you're going into that role of being a manager because you understand how to do the work and you can directly help people that are trying to do that work. So that's the expert leader. They're an expert in that thing. And as they progress, then the next layer is called achiever leader, which is a little bit bigger picture. And it's more about goals than it is getting today's work done. So it's more about maybe projects or programs or quarterly goals or annual initiatives, things like that. And you're taking a little bit bigger step. And one of the big differences there is you start getting into situations where you're managing people where you don't know how to do their work. So maybe a bigger project where you might come from a background in marketing, you know all the stuff about that, but you're starting to work with people that are in other fields that contribute to a bigger accomplishment, a bigger goal, a bigger product or try to build something like that. And so there's different perspectives you need to bring with that. And then the third one that we talked about is called catalyst leadership. And that's where we're going again, even bigger, just thinking longer term, thinking bigger picture. It's not just about those goals, maybe for the next quarter or year, but it's about future vision. We're going to be in five or 10 years, taking that bigger perspective, things like that. And there's a few layers above that. If you go read the book, it's pretty good stuff. It's PhD caliber material. I would say it's a bit dense for most people, which is why we trim it down to three levels. And those top two levels are very nuanced. So when we're going through classes, we try to simplify there a bit and just help understand the differences in the model. So leaders can sort of understand you know, where they can head and how they can be more effective. Yeah, I love this. And I'm just thinking through my journey as a leader and then others like in my peer groups that I work with. And something just came up for me that I'm just curious about. I wonder if it comes up in your work. So a situation where a team is working under an expert leader and this person that's the expert leader, they're like, oh, this is the go-to. This is my mentor. They know all this stuff. 
And as the company grows, you start to then morph into maybe a different person comes in and they are an achiever leader. And the people were so used to the expert leader that maybe there is a breakdown on their, I don't know if the word's respect, but like, oh, but this person doesn't know all the things. Like, how do you as a company like make that shift where people understand it's important for us to have that next level of leader? They don't need to know all the details. They're really here to help us go to the next level. As we work with companies in, in transformation, that's some of the stuff we need to think about, right? Is though the people that are on the teams that we're working with, helping them understand what the future holds and how leaders will be shifting their behaviors so that those teams can be more effective. And that's certainly a common thing where you might have that expert leader who's there with you every day and understands all the details of your work. And you might attach to that and have a lot of respect for that. And when you need help, you can go directly to them. And what we're trying to do is encourage those teams to really work within the team, get help from their teammates and let the leaders and managers serve a different role, which is set us up for success in the future, create the environment around us, not answer all the tactical questions, but put us in a position where we can be successful more autonomously. And so part of it is, is not just helping the leader try to make that advancement, but helping the people understand why that's valuable and then why their ability to have that autonomy is going to be more helpful for them, more effective for getting their work done, things like that. And a lot of it comes back to being adaptable. If we're always, always looking at that expert leader for help all the time, we're sort of limiting our ability to adapt to change and, and navigate things as they come up. And so really understanding how that achiever leader's behavior of getting out of the weeds is actually helpful. Even though it might seem counterintuitive to them at first, that it really is something we work on with the leader and their people. So I can see you right now and I see your framework here behind you that's so colorful and all of that. I see something that says heroic above the expert and achiever. Can you tell us what that component is? Yeah, sure. And so just going back to the model for a second, sort of the highlights of these, we talk about the expert leaders focus on doing, like getting work done, the achiever about leading people, and the catalyst is more about coaching. And so in the first two here, the expert and achiever, that heroic part comes in where it's about the leader's capability and how they can add value and how the organization relies on them. So in the expert, it's kind of obvious, right? The expert is able to actually do the work. And so when something happens, they're probably the expert in that thing. Like if something gets really tough, they're the one that can jump in because they know all the stuff about it. They've been doing it for years. They just happen to be promoted to manager. So when trouble occurs, they can jump back in, get into the weeds and solve problems. So from a heroic standpoint, they can jump back in and save the day. The achiever is still in a heroic position, but maybe a little bit different. It's not as tactical. They're not going to maybe jump back into the weeds, but it's heroic from the standpoint that they're probably the ones that have come up with the goal we're trying to achieve. And they're the ones creating buy-in in the organization. They're, they're out there pitching it and selling it and motivating people and getting people excited. And so maybe they don't know all the pieces of the puzzle tactically that they can jump in and do all the work, but they're the ones setting us up directly. Most of what we see is in organizations, HR systems are set up to find the people with good ideas and put them in charge. And so from a heroic standpoint, that's what we see is that they get put in charge of their idea, go make it happen. We'll give you all the budget and time and money and people and all that kind of stuff that you need. Just go make it happen, right? And then we put a lot of trust in them. And so that can work well to achieve the goal. The challenge is they get into that position where they're always trying to do that. And so when the next goal or mission comes up, they're the one that gets tagged for it and they're just doing that. And they always become the hero. I've been in this situation previously in my career. And when we teach classes about this, the example I talk about was this really big project. One of my first jobs out of college, we were building e-commerce sites for a big 100,000 person manufacturing organization here in the U.S. And when we achieved the goal, like we had all the support, all the political capital we needed, all the budget and that kind of stuff to achieve the goal. But once that happened, 
that achiever leader got a lot of glory and they got promoted onto a different area of the company. And the problem was all that support left with them because they took it with them. And so that political capital and all the organizational buy-in was attached to them personally. They didn't have time to go set up all the stuff that would last longer, all the structures and you know, changes to policies and things like that. It was really about get the job done and move on to the next thing. And because they were promoted to a different group, unfortunately, what happens is a lot of times is things collapse behind them because they haven't had a chance to set up those long-term structures. So, so that heroic nature sort of comes back to a lot of things are directly tied to them personally, just like the expert, just on a tactical level. And is it fair to say that every organization, every team needs all of these? Like you need the experts, you need the achiever, you need the catalyst. Yeah, sure. And and in this model, we think about this, it's situational. Like a lot of leadership models, this is very situational. We desire for more people probably to be in that default role of catalyst because then they're more coaching oriented. We're probably going to get better long-term results and things like that. But there are certainly cases where, you know what? We got to jump back in the expert mode because we're in trouble or we got to you know accomplish this thing or there's a big quarterly goal that if we don't achieve it, our stock price is going to tank or something like that. And so every organization would benefit from having more catalysts probably, but there are certainly cases where we need to be able to operate in more of an expert mode or a cheaper mode. But just to clarify, this is something that we really try to harp on in our, our leadership classes. The goal is not for everyone to be a catalyst. So if the entire organization were catalysts, we may have trouble getting things done because one of the things that comes with being a catalyst and more of a coaching mindset is we're going to be more deliberate. Things are going to go slower because we're trying to help people learn at the same time and really get a lot of ideas on the table and really power people to do the things that they're passionate about and that fit the organization. But sometimes we just got to get things done. And so we can't operate in that catalyst mode all the time because things might just go too slow for the benefit of the company. And so we, we think about that model also where as you build this capability, it's a development model. And so let's say you go from expert to achiever. In my little picture here, you can't see it uh, in the audio, but it's like a Russian nesting doll. You're building capability around it. So you've got that sort of expert at your core, and you're building more capability around it as an achiever and more capability around that as a catalyst. But you've always got all three of those in your repertoire where you can use them when the situation dictates. So because I am just very intrigued by this catalyst, like I want to be my best in that category, can you illustrate a catalyst leader that you've worked with bring to life how they show up? Yeah. So the sort of baseline of it is it's much more of a coaching mindset, like I said. So it's going from doing to leading to coaching. And the default in most organizations we see is it's that achiever leader that's leading, they're motivating, all those kind of things. And it's taking a step above that, going beyond just achieving these goals. Let's think bigger picture and, and going beyond. And in our classes, one of the things we, we often point to some examples of leaders out there in the world and and the one I actually point to here is Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft. I've read his book. It's called Hit Refresh. And it's a good example of, of actually the progression here. I don't think he, he knows of this model necessarily, but it's something that we point to as I read his book. I can see him progress from an expert to achiever to catalyst throughout his career as he described it. So part of that is thinking about the longer term time horizon. The achiever oftentimes is about our goal. Let's achieve the goal. Get laser focused. Let's accomplish it. And the catalyst, that's interesting. But that's just one of many goals that we're going to have over the course of time. So let's not get fixated on just one thing. That might be important now, but what's important next year and the year after that? And they're looking at a longer time horizon. So part of the way they show up then is that different perspective where we're not so attached to just that one thing we're doing right now. That's great and interesting, but let's look at that in the bigger context of where that helps us get to five, 10 years from now. So that mindset of just looking ahead is one way that we can see them show up. Another one is their view of the system, right? When I say system, I mean like the organizational system, the ecosystem. And so 
when we think about the achiever, they're probably focused on all the pieces of the organization that are required to get their objective and their goal accomplished, right? What are the pieces we need to bring together? And again, the catalyst just thinking bigger picture. Yes, those parts are needed for that goal, but what's the bigger impact on the whole organization? And also recognizing that, you know what? We don't live in the world by ourselves as a company. We have suppliers and vendors and customers and all those kind of things, regulators, all their, all those things out in the world. And so our ecosystem is not even inside our four walls. It's bigger. And so again, how they're showing up is thinking about those other things. What does this look like in the market and for our customers and how does it affect our vendors and suppliers? Those kind of things are on their mind. It's not just about laser focus on the goal. It's, it's bigger picture of the system in, in which we live as well. And the last thing we like to point to is as that catalyst starts to advance from achiever leader to catalyst, that mindset of what they're thinking about and how they're self-motivated, their self-awareness, the level of that, the achiever going to catalyst, the catalyst is probably seeking out more feedback for themselves, not just about the achiever might be getting feedback about how do we accomplish the goal better, right? How do I be a better leader to accomplish this task or this uh, initiative? But the catalyst is probably looking bigger picture about feedback and try to take that feedback and incorporate it and just become a better leader for the organization, not just now, but for the future. And how does that help me build other leaders? So not just achieve goals, but build up other leaders. And so the intent behind what they do every day, you can see how they show up differently in that because they are more coaching, maybe more outward focused outside themselves, trying to help others really step up. And a lot of times the way that comes across is it's not that I need to have the best idea, but I want to get the best ideas on the table. Does that have to be mine? It's even better if it's not mine, because then you guys have more ownership of it and you're more accountable to yourselves and things like that. And so there's a lot of that. There's a pretty good line here between achiever and catalyst that we can see a lot of times, some of the, the nuances. And one of those is the thing we started talking about today, which is that why. Catalyst, when we start to, to go into organizations and start working with people, you can start to see a few things. And one of those is the leaders who will explain what they want to accomplish or where they're going and they automatically explain why. It's just a default behavior that they've developed. And so that's one of those things that we can start to point to and say, yeah, we're on the right path here. We're really taking a, a step outside of ourselves and trying to look at how other people are going to take in what we say and can they attach to it? Can they understand it well? We're not just trying to give a directive. We're, you know, the first thing we talked about, just really explaining the why and letting people engage. That's great. And so there's so much to this for some of us that are listening right now and are like, oh gosh, I really want to dig in because I feel like I'm at this stage or I've got somebody on my team that, you know, is in this arena, but we need to sharpen that. We're going to link out to Aaron and Project Brilliant so that you can go deeper there. I want to conclude this section of our discussion today around whether it's an expert leader, an achiever leader, or a catalyst leader, explaining why well is good for any level of leader. The catalyst in your example, this is just a built-in uh, habit for them, right? We can do that at every level. And if that is a norm inside of our company leading, it's just going to make everything better, right? So could you walk us through some key habits, best practices, whatever you want to call those that we could take and apply to explaining why well? Yeah, sure. So this is a, a great topic. And, you know, again, our, our leadership classes, this is a, a big part we focus on is what are those habits? We want to, want to make this more real and more tangible. And so certainly that why part at any level, as you pointed out, where right, you make sure a frontline manager all the way up to the CEO, and you can start explaining why. So it's a good habit to get into. But one of the things we really talk about is again, taking a step back and trying to be more self-aware about how you're coming across. And so one of the common examples that we hear when we ask people, you know, what are, what's something that you can change and start working on tomorrow or next week? And a good example of that is how do we operate in meetings, right? When you got five other people in a, in a Zoom call or around a table, 
thinking about how you come across as a leader in that meeting. And pretty commonly, you will run into a lot of A-type people or high knee on disc, things like that. People that just want to jump in and solve problems and get things done and, and keep moving. And that's one of those habits we can look at and say, well, what if you weren't the first one to speak or give an answer or try to solve the problem? For us, we work a lot in IT with a lot of engineering-minded folks who want to just get in there, tinker and solve problems quickly. And so what if you took a step back and weren't the first one to jump in or weren't putting the problem solving on your shoulders, but you're trying to create a situation where you're getting ideas on the table? And so just very tactically, one of the things that comes up a lot is, well, I do that a lot. I jump in and solve problems. What if I just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that at least three other people chime in before I do so that they can get their ideas on the table before I start sharing mine? Depending on how you've come across this leader so far, when you start offering a solution, a lot of times people just say, well, that's the solution. We got to go with it. So let's just get behind it. And they don't, they stop offering ideas. They stop brainstorming. And that just shuts down the conversation, whether you intended it to or not. They just hear it differently from you as a leader and a manager because you're the boss. But that's one of those things. I think another one we get into a lot is, is how you're having conversations. When people bring you a problem, let's say one-on-one coming to you for help because you're the boss, you're the manager, or maybe you're in charge of this part of the organization. How you have those conversations is important. As an expert, your typical behavior might be whenever you have a problem is to let's jump in it together and try to solve it immediately. The achiever might be a little bit different in terms of they're trying to ask, well, what is it you're trying to accomplish by solving this problem? And the catalyst is probably more thinking about how do I help this person solve this problem so they can start solving more of their own problems in the future. And so the way you have that conversation, really more from a coaching style where they're bringing you a problem and you start asking questions, start asking about what have they tried so far? What do they think would be most useful? What have they seen before? You might offer some ideas around how I've seen that situation before. I've been in that situation. Here's how I've you know, taken some actions that were helpful. Doesn't mean you have to do the same thing, but here's just an example. And so it's a, a bit less about tactically solving the problem. It's more about setting that person up for success in the future about how they can solve their own problems. So really getting into that coaching and questioning mindset, powerful questions, getting them to think. Yeah, that's another one. I'm just jotting down, asking powerful questions, just being more thoughtful with the way that we craft our questions. How we ask questions is super strategic. One of the things that comes along with that, we ought to talk about as well is something called power styles. There's ways for us to be more assertive in situations and more accommodative, two ends of the spectrum. And along with that sort of coaching style, you can use that situationally as well. When someone just needs a kick in the butt, <laughs> it can be more assertive because they're just stuck or they just needed that shove in the right direction kind of thing. Other times they need empathy. They need understanding and, and things like that. And it's as a leader getting more adept at how do you sort of use those things to help people take action, to get unstuck, to start asking themselves the questions they need to ask. This has been so good, Aaron. Love this episode. I personally look forward to continuing the journey of getting to know you because I just, I think there's a lot here that I still would like to learn. So maybe a lot of our listeners are like that. Feel free to reach out to Aaron. He'll be sharing some information on how to do that in a minute. Aaron, we're going to take a quick break and then hear from our sponsor message today before we go into our lightning round, where we'll get to learn a little bit more about the personal side of you. So we'll be right back. Work Human is the pioneer of employee recognition and their podcast, How We Work, highlights everything that shapes the employee experience and what leaders can do right now to change it for the better. If you are leading meaningful work experiences for others, this show is a must. Subscribe to How We Work anywhere you listen to podcasts. And after you listen in, I want to know your takeaways. All right, Aaron Copel back on Gut Plus Science. This has been a great conversation today. I think there's a lot of 
just heightened awareness around starting with why. Simon Sinek did a good job of that to set that stage in such a great book. And I think really how to go deeper and just bring this into every conversation. Like every time we're explaining something new and every new conversation, like going and building in that habit of starting with why and explaining the why, it's just super powerful. Thank you. We're going to transition into our lightning round. So the first question we ask everybody because we're building an ever-growing recommended reading list. So you get to pick one book. What's your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read that you think our leader audience would like to learn? The one I'd recommend is called The Age of Agile by Steve Denning. And so it's a good one that we actually give out quite a bit to our clients as we get started with them, focusing on agile and agile transformation. So a lot of the discussion about becoming a more agile organization to adapt to change the market. And this was written pre-COVID, but I think organizations that were starting to start thinking this way a bit more probably were more successful as those kind of massive disruptions happen in the world. So pretty good book. Yep. Age of Agile by Steve Denning. Awesome. Thank you for that. So I just came off a two-week tour in Spain. We had a really great vacation, just completely unplugged. And so many great things come when you just get outside the normal life, right? Curious for you, travel, how important is it to you? Like, how does travel show up in your life? It's a, a huge passion of mine. So next to Agile, it's probably the next thing beyond family, it's travel. So I grew up living internationally a bit. And by the time I was probably 12 years old, I had probably been to like 20 countries. So my list is up to about 53 right now, I think it is. So the last few trips have been uh, just before COVID was Egypt and went through Europe last year and a few other places going to South America, probably at the start of next year. So, so a huge passion of mine, just going to see different cultures. I love history and geography and all those kind of things. So love getting out there and touring around and just going to spots people have probably not been in a while and folks that live near me in the Midwest that just don't have opportunity to do. So it's just a, a huge passion of mine. Okay. Well, I'm really curious now, where is the travel location on your bucket list? I've been a lot of places, been to Australia and Egypt and all those kind of places. The place I haven't been yet is India. You know, I have a lot of friends there through work and other things and, uh, you know, hear uh, a lot of good things about it. So that's an adventure I'm going to take sometime soon. That's cool. Awesome. So Aaron, I know that you love your work, like you, you live out practicing meaningful work and you're an entrepreneur. Where is the place that you feel most inspired to do your best work? It really comes down to being with people. So being physically in person, that's where I do my best work. We do a lot of great activities and get people engaged and yeah, you, know, you can do some of that virtually and things too. But man, I just love being with people in person, working through problems together, working through training and workshops and just helping them start thinking differently. So that's my happy place is being with people. Yeah, there's a magic about that for sure. Finally, Aaron, can you let us know the best way to connect after the show? Yeah, sure. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's uh, an easy one for us all to connect on. So my profile is just LinkedIn slash IN slash Aaron Kobel. Pretty easy one there. So besides that, our website, of course, projectbrilliant.com. And then my email is pretty easy, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N at projectbrilliant.com. So yeah, I'd love to connect with y'all. Aaron, thanks so much for all the great takeaways. Here's my truth you can act on from the conversation today around explaining why. Number one, self-awareness and reflection time mixed with slowing down. Those are the two top of mind concepts that we learned today that will help us be a catalyst or be a better leader to really apply these teachings with Aaron. Number two, 
an expert is a doer, an achiever is a leader, a catalyst is a coach. We need all of those. Where are you at right now? And what do you need to sharpen? The doer, the leader, the coach. Number three, build habits to support making the why clear for all. So, you know, point one of this is always explain the why. Just make it a habit to always explain the why. Number two is to take a step back for self-reflection. Number three is to ask for feedback regularly and to build a culture where people feel safe to do that. Number four, ask others to share their ideas before you share yours. Number five, problem-solving one-on-one conversations. Think about how do you help build that person when you're doing these problem-solving conversations to solve the problem and to build a muscle to be a problem solver rather than giving them the answer. And then number six, ask powerful questions. You know, so much of what we move forward is about the questions that we ask. Ask more powerful questions. Great habit list there. Much to think about. Thanks again, Erin. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.